0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. And um, it's good to be together um, again, worshiping God. Uh, For those of you I don't know yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's uh, a privilege really to share the word of God with you. So, guys, what we've been doing, I'm going to jump right in today, um, because especially because of the topic that we're covering today and what we've been doing over the course of um, the past couple of weeks is we've started along with several other churches in the city. Um, A series called "Explore God," and um, the past couple of weeks we covered two important topics, which are: um, Does God life have a purpose? Which the answer to that is yes, in Jesus Christ. Um, Number two is there a God? God? Which obviously we talked about the evidences for God, um, some of them last week, and this week what we're doing is we're talking about uh, a very important topic, which is why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Now, this is one where um, we're going to need God's help um, because this is um, obviously a very emotional um, topic. It's an emotional topic. Uh, Not just for myself, it's an emotional topic I'm sure for everybody in here because in a fallen world we've all been touched by or um, had brushes with or are in the depths of um, different types of pain and suffering. And so um, what we're going to do over the course of uh, this morning is we're not going to do several things. Um, I want (coughs) to clarify that right now. Um, What we're not going to do is um, obviously completely solve the issue of pain and suffering, okay? Can everybody say amen to that? Okay, and everybody feel released already, okay, that in a 30-minute session we're not going to solve the issue of pain and suffering. Um, number two, we're, we're not going to minimize pain and suffering and provide simple platitudes like all you need to do is pray, okay? We're, we're not going to do that because uh, there are plenty of people in the world who do a whole lot of praying, and are still going through a whole lot of pain and suffering. Uh, we're not going to reduce it to that. Um, we're not going to tell you that uh, all you need to do is have greater faith and all your problems will go away. Um, we'll discover that that's not a biblical stance on things. And what we're, uh, what we're not going to uh, do is uh, make perfect sense of it. Um, but what we will do is we will discover God's heart discover God's heart in the midst of it all, and all the mysteries and all of the uh, tensions and all of the uh, issues that we face, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into it in such a way where we're at least sensitized to some of the, uh, to some of the pictures that God gives us as to why. Okay. So let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your word to us today. Thank you that you've given us light in the middle of darkness and that you help us to make sense of the world around us. God, we thank you that you're a kind and compassionate God, uh, that in the midst of all of the pain and suffering that we see surrounding us in the world and that we ourselves experience, uh, that, God, you're not removed from it, but you're right there in the middle of it. And we thank you that you provide redemption through it all, through Jesus, your Son. Help us today. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, first of all, let me, let me just start by saying that um, when we talk about pain and suffering in the world, we're talking about really uh, the product of a fallen world. Uh, we all have in and, of our, in and of ourselves a heart that longs for Eden, <laughs> that longs for a utopia. Um, everybody in their lives, they're trying to necessarily try to, trying to put it together, right? with some sense of control, with some sense of understanding, with some sense of pleasure and joys. They're trying to get back to this idea of utopia because in essence when we look at the scriptural account we see that whenever God created, He created all things good. Um, but mankind went in search of many schemes. We see that there was a paradise of God in Eden where God walked amongst humanity and interacted with them freely, but because of sin entering the world and the fall of humanity, that was ultimately broken for a period of time. Now, this is obviously uh, an issue that hits us all. Um, it 's an issue that uh, hits me personally. Uh, many of you uh, know my story, so uh, you know we 've been through different health challenges in our family we 've been through uh, different uh, losses of family members suddenly. Um, we have uh, uh, I, I don't know that many of you know that even I myself had a brush with death coming back from a mission trip, of all things. I came back from preaching the gospel in Poland. Nicole was with me like, like, um, on the tail end of that, and on the tail end of preaching the good news of Jesus and seeing people come to Jesus and saved. I came back from a flight and had a pulmonary embolism that almost took me out. And I was like, well... <laughs> how do you deal with that (laughs) you know and so with that um in mind we 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 all have issues whether it be with your jobs or your relationships your families uh your finances school about uh violations systemic social injustices sexism ageism health issues crime poverty bigotries these are all the types of suffering and pain that we see in the world around us and we've got to ask ourselves in god how do we deal with it Well, when we're talking about this, um, obviously I want to just start with some thoughts that people have had about the issue. Um, It's a quote that I uh, mentioned many times, and I think obviously think it bears repeating again today. But um, first of all, you've heard me say many times before that C.S. Lewis said that God himself whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But Though you've heard that one before, you might not have heard what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said. She said about pain and suffering that the most beautiful people are those who've known defeat, who've known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Um, A woman named Leslie um, Karen said this, in order to have great happiness, you have to have great pain and unhappiness. Otherwise, how would you know when you're happy? Um, Charles Stanley, many of you are familiar with his writings and his teachings. Uh, He's a Christian pastor. He actually said, our Heavenly Father understands our disappointment, suffering, pain, fear, and doubt. He is always there to encourage our hearts and help us understand that he's sufficient for all our needs. When I accepted this as an absolute truth in my life, I found that my worrying stopped because he began not to uh, just fight against the circumstances of life, but he began to trust God in the midst of them. And then there was um, obviously Helen Keller uh, who dealt with many uh, struggles throughout her lifetime. Um, Helen Keller said that although the world is full of suffering it is also full of overcoming it. Although it's full of suffering, it's also full of overcoming it. And we believe that in Jesus Christ. That's the promise that we have. Now, when we think through the uh, issue of pain and suffering, obviously we, one of the, ones, the books that we can go to very readily is the book of Job, right? Um, the Book of Job, and if you've never read the Book of Job before, or if you, like myself, did not grow up in the church and you thought that it was actually a book of jobs, and you and like, it was, I was like, well, God's going to help me practically. So, like, it's it's actually a book that um, talks very specifically about this issue, and um, it's thought to be one of the uh, oldest books in the Bible, uh, one of the oldest accounts of. Uh, humanity interacting with God. But what's significant about it is is that uh, Job, if you read the account, and we're not going to go through all of it today, um, it says of him that he was a righteous man, and that he was a blameless man in God's sight. And in the midst of uh, his being righteous and blameless, he still suffered struggle and pain. Okay? Uh, That, in fact, in the midst of his living righteously, not only for his own sake before God, but actually doing everything that he could to see his family righteous before God, offering sacrifices before God day and night on their behalf, just in case they offended God, just in case they sinned. It said that there was an attack on his life and his soul that uh, God and his sovereignty uh, did not author, but he did allow He did not author, but he did actually say over and over again to an entity known as Satan, the accuser, the deceiver, the enemy of our souls. He came and he said, hey, listen, God, does this guy Job, who's righteous and blameless in your sight, fear you for nothing? Does he fear you for nothing? Does he really honor you because of who you are, or does he honor you because of what you do for him and what you give him? And so in the midst of his honoring of God, God allowed there to be testing of his soul, and there was testing through suffering. There was testing where there was a removal of his family, where his family members were killed. There was testing in terms of the removal of his wealth. He was known as the most wealthy and the most prosperous man at that period of time. And there was testing when his wealth was removed from him. And really, even those around him wanted to encourage him to just say, now that these things are taken from you, why don't you just curse God and die? And he ultimately had to say, listen, it's not these things that are most important. Who God is and my honor of him is most important. And though he take these things from me, God gives and he takes away. But I'm going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he's good in the midst of even the pain and the suffering that I experience. And then literally his own physical health was taken from him. His physical health was taken from him. And he was like, well, what in the world? I just want to die. I want to die now and many of you have been in places before where you think that all the circumstances that surround you and mount up against you bring you to a point where it's like life isn't worth living anymore. Well, there have been men and women of God who felt just the same. And the good news is is that in the midst of that God said listen you can touch all of these things but you can't touch the man himself. That's up to me. Even Satan the accuser, the enemy of the soul who was in essence enacting spiritual warfare as people try to call it on Job what we see is that God said his life is mine his life is mine. And I'm going to show you over the course of um, my interaction with him that it's not an end in and of itself. That though this pain and suffering is something that he is experiencing and it's refining him as, with fire, um, ultimately I'm going to show my goodness to him. And if you look to the end of Job's life, we see that there was a doubling. People like to get cute with their terms and um, saying there was a doubling for Job's trouble. But at the end of the day, he received back um, his wealth. He received back his health. He had other children. And I, I think that's trite to say, especially if you have children, that having other children could ever replace the ones that you lost. Um, but the thing is, is that he received back the goodness of God in the midst of his suffering and was able to understand that God's sovereign, God's in charge and ultimately he's good and that what we see is not the end of the story and not the end of the day. So how do we wrestle with um, this idea of suffering even in the midst of a righteous man or a righteous woman? Well, I want to um, sort of unpack it slowly in terms of um, several things, and these are just terms that we're going to have to talk about over the course of time, okay? And we're going to have to talk about later. We're going to have to talk about in these discussion groups that are happening throughout the week where you can talk with some of your uh, peers, and if you'd like to talk with us at a later time, we'd be happy um, to do that. Um, But just understanding what I said at first, the idea of a fallen world, we see that God himself is expressing at least... Five different things in the midst of the fallen world that we live in that help us exp- um, explain pain and suffering as we experience it. And if you're taking notes, these uh, I'd like you to write these at least terms down that you can ponder later, um, but you can think about God's judgments, you can think about God's mercy, you can think about God's discipline, you can think about God's glory, and you can think about God's suffering, God's suffering. Okay? Number one, I want to I uh, talk to you first of all about God's judgments. If you look at Isaiah chapter 26, verses 9 through 10, God's giving us a picture of the suffering that takes place in the world. We understand that the sin entered the world, and with sin entering the world harm entered the world, suffering entered the world. And many times this sin that we we perform ourselves, we think that it's isolated just to us. But it's not just isolated to us, but sin in fact is passed on, right? If any of you have come from a family um, that like even the world would classify as uh, whole, you know that even in the midst of a whole family, there's dysfunction. How many people can say amen to that? Okay, because even in the midst of a whole family, there is sin that's rampant in people's hearts. And so we see that sin is basically not only enacted by individuals, but it's passed down family lines. You know, um, some people come from families where there was adultery. Some people come from families where there was alcoholism. Some people come from families where there were violations. And then when those things happen, it doesn't just affect the one who's actually immediately doing the sin. It affects the family line, right? And so the pain and the suffering that are experienced are a product of the fallen world that we see. And what we see that um, God's doing in the midst of Isaiah is he's first talking about his judgments. And he says, my soul yearns for you in the night. This is Isaiah, the prophet talking. He says, my soul yearns for you in the night and my spirit within me earnestly seeks you for when your judgments are in the earth. The inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. So when we talk about even a fallen world, what, what he's talking about here is that literally that the judgments or God actually having a response to sin in the world. He has a response to it, actually teaches people righteousness. So literally, if you go on doing things without consequence that are wrong, then more than likely because of our bent sinful nature, we'll continue to do them until something wakes us up. Right? Something actually shows us that there is something wrong. There's a product of our sin that actually is destructive. And what God does is he says, my judgments come upon the earth literally to teach people righteousness. To show them that there is a better way. That I haven't designed you or created you for this. Because without my judgments, people go on in their sin people go on. And when we think about judgments, we often think about pain and suffering, right? We think about the consequences of people's actions. The psalmist actually wrote this in Psalm 119 verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray before I was afflicted. I went astray, but now I keep your word. And if you were like me, a little bit of a rubble rouser, like as a kid, um, I was a knucklehead. I was hard-headed. Come on now, anybody else hard-headed in here? And you were that person in your family that literally, um, they had to wear you out, metaphorically speaking, I mean, to get the lesson. Was anybody like that? Okay, good. Well, that was me, and I could say this very practically, before I was afflicted, (laughs) I often in my school went astray. How many times? I I had a permanent residence. If people wanted to send me mail, they sent it to my principal's office. Okay? (laughs) The thing is, is that I was a rubble rouser, but when I was afflicted, I learned to do what was right. In the same way with pain and suffering, God's saying, I'm trying to bring my judgments. Matter of fact, not just for your harm, but for your good. And that leads us to the idea of God's mercy. When pain and suffering comes, it can be at times at times, an enactment of God's mercy. When we look at Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 25, this is the Apostle Paul talking, and he's talking about the pain and the suffering that exists in the world. And he started off his letter to the Romans talking about how people were created by a good God, but they decided not to acknowledge Him as God, nor give thanks to Him, but their foolish hearts were darkened and they went astray. Now when they did this, what happened? Sin entered the world and it started to destroy the relationships, the families, the health, everything that we see around us. But then he specifically talked a little bit more clearly about the pain and suffering that exists in the world in Romans chapter 8. And Paul said this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the sons of God. And in the NIV it says to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, The Redemption of Our Bodies, For In This Hope We Were Saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What's he talking about here? He's saying literally that when humanity was separated from God because of sin, all of creation was affected by it, right? If any of you have an appreciation for creation in here and have a green thumb, anybody have a green thumb in here? Have an appreciation for, you're right. It's sort of like we are destroying our planet. Could everybody say amen to that? Okay, we are destroying our planet. We are destroying God's creation. And the thing about it is that's part of the sin entering the world. And he said it's not just individuals, but all of creation is groaning, groaning for redemption because of the way that humanity is living out life. And what God said is like when people sin, what did he say to humanity? He said, I'm going to make you mortal. I'm going to put an end to your days so that through my redemption that comes through Jesus Christ and my recreation of men and women from the inside out, that ultimately one day you'll be liberated from your bondage to sin. That one day you'll be liberated from your bondage to destruction. That's not only destroying your life, but destroying creation itself. And in the midst of destroying creation itself, I'm going to bring you to a place of the glorious freedom of the children of God. That one day, though you're separated from that Eden, that utopia that you all long for, one day I'm going to bring a new heaven. One day I'm going to bring a new earth. The home of righteousness. Where neither sin nor death nor crying nor pain exists. And I'm going to make Everything new. That's part of the promise of God that He says, Listen, part of my mercy is I'm allowing this physical frame to decay so that this isn't all that there is. It doesn't matter how often or how long you work out. How many people say, Amen to that? If you stop, guess what's going to happen? This thing's going to break down. If you eat right all your life and then go on a Bojangles binge, then what's going to happen? This body is going to break down, right? The point is is that he's saying it's my mercy to liberate you from your bondage to decay so that ultimately you can come into the glorious freedom of the children of God. God is preparing you for another world. Through suffering, he's in fact preparing you for another world full of redemption, life, healing, and forgiveness. This fallen world is... Is a bit of all is not rather all that there is. MLK, when he was thinking about the tragedies and the sufferings of uh, humanity in life, he, he actually said it this way: that uh, we must accept in this life finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. We must accept finite disappointment because that's part of the suffering of humanity, where God subjected humanity to frustration that we might in fact be liberated from bondage to decay but this baptist preacher leader of the civil rights movement actually said we must not lose infinite hope because we have infinite hope in the gospel. I've already made mention of Revelation 21. It, it should be something that's plastered on your screen, verses 1 through 4, where he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is all part of God's mercy, but we get to that point through passing through suffering. We get to that point by passing through suffering. And if this life is all that you hope for, if this life in this life is the only hope that you have, it's hell on earth. It's hell on earth. It's what literally a pastor said many years ago where he said, if this is the only life that you have hope in, this is the best that you ever have it. But for the Christian, this is the worst that they'll ever see. Because of the glory of God and because of his redemption that's coming in Jesus Christ. It's his mercy to subject us to suffering that we might be liberated from our bondage to decay. It's not only that, though, but as we pass through, it matters what we do today. And just as we have good fathers or good mothers who've disciplined us throughout our lifetime, God is a good father who disciplines his children. Hebrews 12, 9 through 11 says it this way. He says, literally, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Okay, Some of us have grown up in homes without fathers, but we had mothers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. This is talking specifically not just to people in the world in general, but people who are Christians. And in the midst of people who are Christian, there are mistakes, there are sins that we still commit and have made. Everybody say amen to that? And in the midst of God's mercy, God disciplines us. He says not to destroy us, but he disciplines us for our good. He disciplines us as a father for our good when we go astray, meaning he causes things not to go right in our relationships when we sin. He allows things not to go right in our health when we sin. He allows things not to go right in our finances when we sin as a good father to discipline us so that we might participate in his holiness, he says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Painful. No discipline is pleasant, right? No discipline is pleasant, but he says it's painful. And he says, rather than pleasant. But later... After the fact, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who've been trained by it for those who've been trained by it. So in the midst of some sorts of pain and suffering, some are the results of sort of the cosmic reality of a fallen world that we all live in. And some of it's passed down to us, right? That had nothing to do with me or anything that I ever did. It's all passed down. It's just part of the fallen state of the world. Some of it has to do with God's mercy where God's trying to liberate us from our bondage to decay. Some of it has, to, is our own doing, right? It's a result of our own choices and God and his love for us is disciplining us as a good father as his children but then the big question is is what if I've done nothing wrong but just like Job I see pain and suffering in my life and here this is the one that's a little bit more delicate and is uh, one that comes with a bit of tension but this is the one that we see God's glory come into the conversation God's glory God's glory that he's going to work all things out for his glory that because God has an eternal perspective, we, we feel everything in real time. We see everything. And I, I think the uh, kids are even talking um, through the same topic today in their classroom. And they're using one, uh, I read through the children's lesson, and one of the uh, like, things that they're talking about is they're making an analogy to a magnifying glass that whenever you have a magnifying glass, it doesn't matter what the reality of the object is, you put a magnifying glass on it, and two things can happen. Number one, it can blow up and look much bigger than it is, And then number two, if it's in the sight of the sun, it can burn. (laughs) Okay. The thing about it is that's what we do with our circumstances as well, right? God has an eternal perspective. He says, this is not all that there is, but we have limited temporal perspectives, right? And then number two, what, what happens a lot of times in the midst of pain or suffering, we end up making choices that literally can burn our lives down if we don't trust in the Lord. And what God's saying is, you trust me for my glory. You trust me in the midst of pain and suffering, and I'll walk you through it. The, my, the favorite example here, they didn't have this in notes, but I added to it. It's basically John chapter 9. And you understand this as an um, instance of pain and suffering because this was a man who was born blind. This was a man who was born blind, and throughout his lifetime, he experienced the suffering of not being able to see, not being able to interact with the world as everyone else. And it said that about Jesus, as he passed by, starting in verse 1, he saw a blind man, (coughs) I'm sorry, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, right? Right? Because their understanding was is that every action has a consequence. Every action of like either righteousness or wickedness has a reaction from God that you're going to either be judged or blessed according to your actions. And they were asking them in this context, who, made, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him that the works of God might in fact be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back Seeing, meaning Jesus intervened in the midst of his pain and suffering, and He said, "Listen, it wasn't because of His sin or His parents' sin that He was born this way, that He experienced this suffering, but it was so that at some point in human history His life would be used for My glory, that His suffering would in fact be used for My glory, that because Jesus was able to intervene in His life and open His blind eyes supernaturally." that many others became believers. And ultimately, what is the greater value? What is the greater value? Is it the momentary comforts that we have, or is it the eternal reconciliation with God that God provides when he intervenes in a man and a woman's life to save them from hell? He's ultimately saying that all of the social justice and all of the things that we do to alleviate pain and suffering in this earth, if not condensed to and if not directly associated with the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, all we're doing is making people more comfortable on their way to death. But what we're doing in alleviating and bringing the gospel of Jesus is not only alleviating momentary suffering, but we're seeing God release them from eternal pain and torment through reconciliation with himself. He said, it was for my glory. It's for my glory that this man went through this pain and suffering. And ultimately it led to life for many around them. But you think to yourself, well... Why did he have to use him that way? Is he unfeeling? Is he unconcerned? Because regardless of the ultimate outcome, he still had to go through it. He still had to go through it. And let it be said that God does understand. And we know that he does care because of the life of Jesus Himself. Came from eternity, the perfection of fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, coming from where there was no crying, suffering, or pain, and He came and put on human flesh and entered into the suffering. He came and He humbled Himself and He said, I'm going to experience all the temptation. I'm going to experience all of the pain. I'm going to experience fatigue. I'm going to experience hunger. I'm going to experience rejection. I'm going to experience all the things that cause pain and suffering and humanity around you, just like you. And most of all, I'm going to take that suffering on myself on the cross. And he says, don't tell me I don't understand. Don't tell me I don't understand your pain. Don't tell me I don't understand your plights. Don't tell me I don't understand that you can actually obey me when I give you commands that lead to life. Why? Because I've entered into it myself. And through Jesus, he's done it all for us. And on the cross, he took not only our guilt, he took not only our shame, he took the very punishment and wrath of God. That we should experience because we were rebellious against a holy and a righteous one. And he said, I've given you commands that are to be obeyed and can be obeyed when I make you new. And I bring you not just into suffering, but into new life through my life. But we've got to realize that in the midst of suffering, God himself has suffered. The third person of the Trinity came and suffered for us on that cross to be able to identify and even set free those who, the Bible says, have been captive, held captive all their lives by their fear of death, the ultimate suffering. He says, I myself have overcome that, and through me you will overcome too. This is the good news of God, and ultimately it reflects not just God's suffering, but finally his love. Let's end with Romans chapter 8. At the end of the day, we trust his goodness and his divine plan because God's given us his word and explained things to us in this way. He says, and we know that for those who love God, and that's an important qualifier, for those who love God, life doesn't just turn out right just for anybody. Everybody realizes that, right? We're in a, again, fallen world and we're reaping the consequences of a fallen world. But for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. Doesn't seem like it in the moment. Doesn't seem like it when you're in the midst of the pain and suffering. Doesn't seem like it when you're in the midst of the trial. But he says, for all things work for the good, For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and that's an important revelation to have in the midst of pain and suffering. In the midst of pain and suffering, God is for his children. He is for his people. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, allowed him to enter into suffering, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And why do we know that? Because this God who died on that cross, he also rose again. He also rose again, and through his victory in the resurrection, he says, listen, I'm giving you evidence and proof for new life in me. I'm giving you all the evidence that you need, that as you repent of your sin, turn away from the pain and suffering that you've caused in the world and actually come to me in trust, I'm giving you a hope of new life in me. Abundant life now, eternal life to come. He says it starts with knowing me. Now, does it mean that you'll have all the answers to the wise on this side of eternity? The answer is obviously no. But can you have an anchor for your soul? Can you have an anchor for your soul that keeps you from drifting off and breaking yourself against the rocks that ultimately tried to come and wreck the ship that God himself is trying to steer for you into glory? The answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes. And we'll close with these things, these thoughts. Job had to respond in his life, as we all do. What are we going to do when, not if, but when, we see and experience the pain and suffering around us? What are we going to do and how will we respond? When things go bad, will you lament? only or will you look forward will you ask why me or ultimately like Job what now (laughs) what now and God how am I going to meet you in the midst of this how am I going to see you show yourself in the midst of this will you mean will you remain bitter or will you ultimately seek God to allow him to bring you into what's better. Can you imagine if our entire community decided to never play a victim, but instead to trust God and look to him in the midst of pain and suffering? Because God is greater than we are, we cannot fully understand or explain all of the problems we encounter. That's the truth. However, we can be certain of God's perfect power, his perfect timing, His perfect purpose and his perfect love. He expressed that ultimately in the person, the life, the miracles, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then now he says, as you've experienced me, I want you to be my hands and feet to help bring that to the world. The suffering that you see around you, I've entered into it. Now be my voice, be my heart Be my hands, be my feet until one day I come. Either for you individually or he makes his ultimate return and makes all things new. Amen. All right. We're going to pause there for today. If we can have the worship team come up. As I said at the beginning, this is a This is a tough one, right? This is a tough one, and it's not one to be handled flippantly, loosely, or lightly. And we know even in just passing through some of the topics that we touched upon, it is not comprehensive, okay? We understand that. But it does at least give us a conversation starter where we can think through from God's heart and His perspective some of the things that will help people Hopefully, you in here today, if you don't know God, get past some of the emotional obstacles, because sometimes the obstacles aren't intellectual. They're not academic. They're emotional. I want to know God. I want to trust God, but I'm having an emotional barrier because of the things that I've experienced in my life. And hopefully, you'll be able to walk through some of those with help. And if you know family members, friends, or coworkers who are suffering some of the same things, help them as well. Okay? So let's go back into worship, and then we'll celebrate communion as we continue to con- <coughs> think through these things.